You are listening to the Daily Homily for Magdala in the Holy Land. Jesus went up to the mountain to pray, and he spent the night in prayer to God. When day came, he called his disciples to himself, and from them he chose twelve, whom he also named apostles, Simon, whom he named Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called a zealot, and Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So there are two apostles called Simon. That's interesting, isn't it? So it wants to be in a common name. It's the name also of one of the tribes. And I think it comes from Shomea, from Simon, Shimon, from listening. Somebody who listens, that's very important when you're called to listen. And the apostles were called and they listened. And then Jude, we have two Judas. It's the same name. We call him Jude in English traditionally as a way of distinguishing him from Judas Iscariot. But in Latin and Greek, the name is Judas as a translation of Yehuda, who was uh, one of the 12 tribes. So that's also interesting. There are not too many that have the name of the tribes, but these names were very important. And when you had mentioned the 12, the 12 tribes at this time, in the Jewish people's experience, it was an immediate recall of the entirety of their people because they attributed their origins, obviously Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the 12 sons of Jacob, which led, were the names of the 12 tribes. And this was a sign of the Messianic time to bring together all the tribes that had been scattered since the civil war, basically, under, after Solomon the division of the northern and southern kingdom, then the exile of the northern kingdom, followed by the exile of the Judea and, and Benjamin and the destruction of the first temple. So now in the Messianic time, they would come back together. And so when Jesus calls the 12, by the very fact of calling 12 and appointing them in this uh, position, it became very clear that Jesus was claiming or stating, affirming, appealing to that traditional awareness in the people that this was also another feature of the Messianic times. And there are many of those in the gospel, many different ones, like Jesus, son of David. And the new Moses, the whole gospel of Matthew is written in a, like a Pentateuch, the five books, the Torah structure and many other uh, features that we're familiar with in the scriptures. <clears throat> then I would like to link that whole thought with the first reading uh, in very strong words that are used here. And it says, through Christ, the whole structure is held together. So there's a whole structure. So that means it's not just individualistic expression of faith in Jesus to be saved, 
But the work of salvation involves rebuilding the people, the chosen people, but this chosen people is going to be united. The wall is going to be broken down between Jew and Gentile, and there's a reconciliation, and it's for the salvation of all of humanity. And this is going to be a whole structure, and it's going to be held together. The word of unity, what Jesus prayed for at the Last Supper, is also echoed here and grows into a temple. So it's one temple. There weren't a bunch of temples. It was only one temple. And Jesus said, destroy this temple, and I will build it up again. He was referring to his body. But now it's also the body of the church is the temple. It's the temple of God's action in the world, a dwelling place of God in the spirit. There's also the application of the temple metaphor for our own selves, that we are a temple of God. But also the whole church is God's temple the spouse of Christ, the body of Christ. These are all different images because there's such a rich reality of salvation. The choicest, most profound, most exalted, most elevated, most uh, the richest metaphors we have are used to express many different aspects of the gift of salvation, which is very rich. So then just bringing that together, it means that we're not scattered. It's also another image that's used earlier is we're members of the household of God. So there's one household God has. And we're members of the household of God, so we belong together. And then it says we're built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. But it's interesting when we see the heavenly Jerusalem coming down on the 12 foundation stones, on the 12 courses of stone, and with the names of the 12 apostles, that that becomes the foundation. The rest was preparation leading up. The culmination of revelation was in Christ. And the way we have access to that, our access to Christ and all that has come afterwards is built on the testimony of the, of the 12 apostles. They're the founding moment. They are the hard touchstone moment of contact with the mystery of revelation and salvation in Christ. We don't have it a different way. We don't have videos from that time. We don't even have writings from that time. Uh, we were commenting this past week about the letter to the Thessalonians. It's the very first writing, and it's from the year 50. And already some of the apostles were already martyred. And so it's the testimony of the apostles is the concrete foundation structurally of the church. There are many other missions in the church. There are many different roles of different people in the church. Paul also speaks about that in the letter to the Corinthians, about all the different types of gifts and charisms. And the specific gift of the 12 apostles, it doesn't matter that we do not know much biography of St. Simon and Jude. There's a very strong tradition that they were both martyred in Persia, present-day Iran. And when we think of Thomas, we always pray for India on that day. When we think of James, the Spanish will definitely pray for Spain because the big tradition is that they have the remains of St. James in Spain and so forth. So in this sense, the, today, I think we can definitely have in our heart prayers for the Iranian, for the Persian people. And it's also a people that has its major challenges today. So getting back to that thought then that God is building up a whole plan of salvation. And he had one family. And we have Adam and Eve. We have Abraham and Sarah. We have Noah. We have before that, and then Moses after Abraham, and David, and Solomon. They're these great figures. So it's not a surprise that God wants to choose very ordinary people, like a shepherd boy to be a King David, like uh, a fisherman to be Peter, 
And two people we don't know anything much about, Simon and Jude, are also among them, because it doesn't matter your degrees in Harvard or in Oxford or wherever it is in the Sorbonne. What matters is that you hear a call in God's great plan, in his great mystery, and that the call is answered. And that's one of the great features of these people. It's not their great holiness, because that's God's gift of grace in their lives. They respond to it, obviously. But it's their, first of all, their response to God. And maybe that's the first step of holiness. If God calls me, I answer. How could I presume to have, to be in the realm of God, to live in his realm of holiness, to participate in his holiness, if I refuse his call? And every one of us has a calling in our lives. And that's a struggle for us. It's a struggle to answer the call. Many times it's just small little details each day, but there are certain times in life when there's a very big calling. We pray for one of our volunteers tomorrow who is getting married, Saul, a former volunteer, and she met her future husband here, who is a Palestinian in Bethlehem, Rami, and they've had made some major challenges along the way, and now most of us cannot go to their wedding because of the present circumstances in Bethlehem tomorrow. <clears throat> so we pray for them, and that's a calling. And in particularly in Saul's case and Rami's case, uh, those of us who are a little bit more in the know of their life and how all this happened, it's definitely, there's definitely, if they're building solid, I think there's a real calling there. So there's a calling in married life, there's a calling in single life, there's a calling in consecrated life, there's a calling to the priesthood, there's a calling to religious life, there's a calling to be missionaries. Some lady called up the other day or wrote an, a note and she wants to be a volunteer, and she feels a calling inside her heart to be a volunteer. Maybe that's not a lifelong thing, that's for a year or something, but it's interesting to know that people perceive a calling. Naturally, that needs to be discerned in spiritual direction and so forth. Now, these 12 apostles, their message goes out to all the earth. It's not just for them. It's a mission. The calling is for a mission. They're called to be close to Christ, to live with him, and to be sent out by him into the world. And in the present circumstances of today's world, maybe there are reasons to be discouraged. But we can be sure God is calling concrete people from our time to be his apostles, to be sent out. Let's pray for all those who are being called today. Thank you for joining us today. If you want to learn more about Magdala, follow us on YouTube and on Facebook.